Welcome to Soulful Living Podcast. I'm Sun. This series is about the journey to intuitive healing and living in optimal health. Welcome to another week of Soulful Living Podcast. In today's episode, I thought I'd talk about some of the things vegans get questioned about and why vegans look at nutrition more than the average person. It's important to be equipped with knowledge because if you are transitioning to vegan, then you're going to come up against a lot of these obstacles, which can actually make you either angry at the world or abandon your decision. I also want to talk a little bit about mental health during the transition period and how to stay on top of that. First of all, though, I want to discuss pregnancy and raising children on a vegan diet. During pregnancy, it is very normal for anyone to have low iron or a drop in iron. However, pregnant women need more iron in their diet because extra hemoglobin is needed to move oxygen from the mother's lungs to the baby's body. While even non-pregnant women can have low iron, which would cause fatigue and low red blood cells, pregnant women can also get anemia. If this occurs, the chances of the baby growing slower or smaller than the percentile or even inducing a premature birth has a much higher risk of happening. So let's talk about folic acid as well, known as vitamin B9. It's probably the most important for pregnant women to make sure that you have an adequate level during your pregnancy because it prevents the baby from having neural defects. So neural tube defects, serious brain abnormalities, spinal cord abnormalities, but it also can decrease the risk of premature birth. But also if your folic acid or your vitamin B9 is at an adequate level, it can help decrease the risk of premature birth. The thing is though, folic acid is beneficial for everyone because of red blood cell formation and for healthy cell growth and function. But indeed for pregnant women, it is what is needed to form the neural tube in the baby. While it's important to be aware of this as a vegan, any pregnant mother should consider these levels as well. So when non-vegans question you about iron or other deficiencies, you can prepare yourself with your answers by telling them that this is actually something that pregnant women, whether you're vegan or not, also need to be consciously aware of their nutrition and the levels of their folic acid and their iron in their blood. But most importantly, make sure you are receiving the correct levels for your own pregnancy. A great way to keep on top of your nutrition level is to do a food diary over a period of maybe three to seven days. I kind of recommend that five to seven days is probably even better. But, you know, the minimum is three. And you really will see a pattern because we are creatures of habit and we do tend to eat the same foods from day to day. And so you'll get like a good understanding of what your normal nutrition levels are at by doing a food diary. Now, gone are the days of having to write all that down or finding an Excel spreadsheet because now there are apps out there that actually help and they will spit out the results that you need to be aware of. 
I do highly recommend Chronometer, which is very specific to your own requirements, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. There are many other apps out there. I've tried them just to get an idea of, you know, of them, but Chronometer has been around for a long time and definitely has improved over time. So, you know, you can use this not just for a food diary for pregnancy. You can use it as a food diary just to make sure that you're getting your nutrients and, um, you know, vitamins and minerals into your body at the levels that you should be for your specific height, for your age, and also your weight. And of course, you can use it for calories as well. Like if you're trying to lose weight or even put on weight, something we're going to talk about further on in the episode. So in my personal experience as a mother, twice, I wish that I'd been vegan back then because I probably would have started my health journey and understanding nutrition way more than I do now. In both pregnancies plus miscarriages that I had, I was not as healthy as I should have been, but completely unaware. I did not understand the importance of folic acid and other levels that needed to be increased during pregnancy, especially in my first pregnancy. So my eldest daughter is nearly 30 years old, so that's a long time ago, yeah? And we were just not as probably informed as what we are today. So maybe that's because also there was seven years difference between my two children, and by the time I was pregnant with my second, there seemed to be a lot more awareness about nutrition and what not to eat. Or maybe I had a better doctor the second time around, I don't know. And in the second pregnancy, I definitely was given a lot more information, just leaflets, like, you know, the doctors, the nurses, foods I shouldn't, shouldn't be eating, all that kind of thing. As with my first pregnancy, none of that was given to me. The only, like, the only thing that was good out of my first pregnancy, I would say, is that they took a lot of blood tests. They made sure that, you know, just the standard things. And that was when I found out my blood type, which actually has helped me with my nutrition and something I will talk about in future episodes about how your blood type can actually help you with understanding what your body needs. Now, I want to talk about infants and children. So baby formulas are generally not vegan because milk formulas are required by law to have vitamin D3. So this is um, a vitamin called cholecalciferol. Now, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but vitamin D3. Okay, so that needs to be added to the milk. That is a requirement by law in most countries. So I imagine maybe in all countries. This is actually created by the ultraviolet irradiation of a substance made from sheep's wool. Now, I'm sure most people, even vegans, don't know some of these things. In fact, funny story, I was out to dinner with a friend, my only vegan friend here in Mexico. We went out to dinner and we were ordering, well, she was ordering some wine. And um, I said, I don't really drink wine anymore since becoming vegan. A lot of wines are filtered with fish bladder to create that you know, clear kind of effect that it has when we like in the glass, when you can see it's nice and crystal and clear. And she didn't know, even though we're vegan, we still need to, you know, we learn the basics, but we still need to keep learning things because obviously new products are being made. So we, you know, have to keep on top of that, but also we can't know everything from the beginning and we have to be careful not to, how would I say it? We'll just be gentle with yourself when you realize you might have done something that wasn't vegan because you know sometimes it just can't be helped and it's it's a lot to do with just not knowing and 
once you do, you will know. And then, yeah, so just be gentle with yourself when when something like that happens because, you know, you don't want to be too hard on yourself. You're only human and you can only do what you can. And what you're doing by being vegan is actually helping anyway, no matter what. Anyway, back to the D3. Well, naturally, we get vitamin D3 from sunlight and other non-vegan foods. It's important to prevent rickets in babies. So that's why the vitamin D is manufactured into the formula using the method involving sheep's wool. There is an exception, though, to that rule because there is a vegan-friendly substance that can be derived from lichen, which is a unique plant species that is associated with algae or fungi. It is a natural source of vitamin D also. So I guess, you know, in most countries, there probably are um, vegan friendly alternatives for milk, like for, for infants milk. So obviously just be aware of that though. Okay, so while there are many concerns and unsolicited advice out there about being vegan, if you wish for your child to eat plant-based foods and to be vegan, you need to understand what actual deficiencies can occur with vegans as well as understanding the daily requirements that you need. It's also important to know that DHA, which is not often produced in plant-based foods, is crucial for brain development. While this can be found in microalgae, I probably would suggest if planning to go on a vegan diet for your child that you have support and constant medical supervision and consultations. Now, of course, I am pro-vegan, but, you know, there are so many stories and this is what I'm going to get to of, yes, you can put some of it down to ignorance, but also some of it down to just being too determined to have their children on a vegan diet and not do any of these medical checkups every now and again, like just the same as you normally would if you weren't a vegan, you know, to make sure that your child is growing to the percentile for the age that they're getting, there's no, you know, deficiencies in their diet. And that's why you need to keep going to a doctor and have that medical supervision, particularly, um, and a vegan friendly doctor, mind you, that will encourage you and also have a good understanding of vegan and plant-based foods. But in saying all that, children can be brought up healthily on a vegan diet as long as they get all the nutrients they need. Children do need plenty of energy and protein to help them grow and develop. It's also important that vegan children get enough iron, calcium, vitamin B12 and vitamin D. Growth restrictions can also occur if a child is not getting sufficient amounts of fat energy. And the biggest benefit of all is understanding animal welfare because you cannot be vegan without kind of children asking you questions. I lived in Israel for some time and they are, well, I think they're the leading, the percentage per population of vegans is the highest in the world. Last time I checked anyway. So there were a lot of children that I met with vegan parents and their children had only ever been vegan and these kids are just different they are growing up in a world where they have so much more empathy towards animals just bright-eyed more gentle really understanding so much more than they should be for their age but you know that's a good thing on, on a calmer more empathetic way you know it was one of probably the highlights of my life as a vegan to experience that because not having been brought up or not being vegan myself and not bringing my own children up vegan, really to see the, the differences in those kids by being vegan was, yeah, it just, it really warmed my heart. 
Okay, so when I was doing my research, I came across um, some information about stories in regards to, you know, raising children on a vegan diet and some of the things that have actually happened um, in various parts of the world. So when I was doing the research, um, back in 2017, in a Belgian court, there was a couple sentenced and served time in jail following the death of their baby, whose organs had decreased to half of their original size. It turned out that the couple ran a health food store. They used to feed the baby milk alternatives. It doesn't actually say what, but it just says that, yeah, they, they fed it these milk alternatives, which caused the baby to develop severe mineral deficiencies. In another case, there was a baby taken away from an Italian couple following their um, his hospitalization due to malnutrition. Another pair from New Zealand were sentenced following the death of their baby due to a vitamin B12 deficiency. There is a really long name for this, but it is like hypocobalamanemia. No idea if that's how you say it, but it is a B12 deficiency. And it was proven because it, to be caused by following a vegan diet. So, you know, according to some experts, young children can follow a vegan diet. However, in these such circumstances, it is important for parents of children to be well aware of the deficiencies that a vegan diet can induce in children and know different ways to make compensations. Because we all know we're not the same, right? Like you might have a deficiency in something and I might have a deficiency in something. It's just the way our separate bodies work. And when I go back to even before I was vegan, I already had um, to have injections for vitamin B12, so all vitamin B injections. And also I have low calcium levels and that is also due to the fact that I don't, like dairy does not work well with my body. So, you know, naturally I progressed to a vegan diet, but I was vegetarian before that, but I've not ever really drunk milk. And there's a story behind that actually, but Maybe I'll save that for another day. Considering all the points I've mentioned, you might end up concluding that a vegan diet might not be the best option for your baby or children. But I guess if you are considering your child or baby to be vegan, you probably are already vegan. But if it's something that's happening and you're turning vegan and then you want your children to also be vegan, if you're going to go through this transition at the same time, to really get a lot of information about what you're eating, which is pretty much what I've said the whole way through this episode so far. So basically, if you're going to put your child on supplements or look into alternative ways for them to get their protein and their energy, you know, their fats and everything else, really just have close medical advice in order to prevent any serious damage that is difficult or impossible to reverse. I mean, for me, I want everybody to be vegan, but I'm also very conscious of my own nutrition. And that really honestly has only come about since being vegan. And that's why I say a lot of the time people will say to you, like, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go through some questions right now. So Questions you might actually get asked are how can you subject your children to that or do you force that diet on your child? Well, it's common to hear people say you shouldn't inflict your views on your children, forgetting perhaps that you already have by being a parent and that to do so is entirely normal. So children eat what they're brought up to eat. So most vegans were brought up eating meat as that's what our parents gave us. 
And most of us would rather have known the truth about what we were eating in the first place. So there's nothing wrong with children being brought up as vegans. As long as I've mentioned before about having a close medical supervision over it. There are, of course, as we already know, bad vegan diets for children in the same way there are bad meat-inclusive diets for children. So it's important to get the nutrients right, but not be too bogged down in the products. So big brands advertising has far, for far too long led us to believe that calcium is milk and iron is meat. There are plenty of plant-based foods that give us these nutrients too. Doing my research, I was looking um, at an article by the British Dietetic Association where they say that vegan diets can be suitable for people of any age, are much less likely to suffer from parasites and um, like things like E. coli and salmonella and things like that. So things that infect many um, animal products, and which can actually sometimes be fatal. Yeah, you can thank largely to animal agricultural and antibiotic resistance to many diseases is growing. If we don't want our children to live in a world where even minor infections cannot be treated, we need to end our reliance on milk and meat. And if we want them to have an inhabitable planet at all, then we must tackle climate change. And the biggest human generated contributor to that is, well, yes, you guessed it, animal farming. So I guess the takeaway from all of this is, of course, have that medical support and supervision and guidance with someone that you know is a good vegan pro-doctor or other type of medical workers and also to really equip yourself with the questions that they're going to ask you, which tends to be on the iron side, the folic acid And why would you do that to your children to put them through a vegan diet? Now, you're going to get other questions asked of you, but probably some of those are going to be covered in the later part of this episode. One of the things that I I really feel very passionate about and something that actually Doug in the previous episode brought up, I honestly believe I have become so much more consciously aware of the planet, of relationships to other people and, and how I treat them, not just animals. Um, I've always been a lover and treated animals well, but, you know, just my empathy towards humans, uh, other people that I know in my life, uh, people I don't know in my life, just generally a much higher consciousness of the planet and people. And really the other part of it is myself, like being consciously aware of who I am as a person. It's helped in my meditation. It's helped me to feel that I am far more knowledgeable about nutrition. It's given me a lot of things to be vegan. And I think that's something that we all experience at different parts of the journey. When people say to you about anything to do with nutrition, just remind them that they need to understand their own nutrition and that probably they don't even know half the things they're talking about by saying, do you have enough folic acid? Do you have enough iron in your body? Maybe they should ask themselves, have they been tested for those things? So now let's talk about other types of people transitioning to vegan who actually need to bulk up or add weight to their diet. It is a known fact that a lot of people lose weight when going from an unhealthy diet to vegan. 
But bodybuilders need more protein depending on what their goals are. And this is because bodybuilders have higher protein needs because they are looking to add mass and are simultaneously using their muscles more than the average person who is not lifting weights. So it's not always about weight gain, though. A lot of new vegans can have difficulty with gaining weight. And that's why I want to talk about people who are underweight. For someone who is underweight since going on a vegan diet and who wants to maintain a healthy weight, it's important to increase your calorie intake. But by being aware of the nutritional value of what you are eating at the same time. So again, chronometer for a few days will also be a great way to see what nutrients and calories you need to increase. You may want to write down your goals in order to be prepared when others question you about losing weight or using plant-based foods to bulk up for bodybuilding. SMART goals are great for doing this. If you're not familiar with them, I'll also leave a link in the show notes for that. And remember, gaining weight is just as important to do it steadily as it is to lose weight. I guess we want to just make sure that we understand about the principles of gaining weight can be understood by family and friends. That's where the mental health stuff can come in and also be a little bit problematic. So by checking in with yourself or a nutritionist, if you plan to use a nutritionist during that time, um, to check in with them helps you to keep your goals on track and to assess if you have any mental health obstacles. When I have clients, when it comes to Ayurveda, I definitely want to help them with the mental process as well and make sure that they're not dipping in, you know, getting depressed or having anxiety or any other kind of mental sort of instabilities during the time where they're fighting themselves with, you know, the changing or transitioning to a vegan diet. Whether you check in with yourself or you're using someone like a doctor or a nutritionist to help with this, it is very important to absolutely assess yourself with a mental with with any mental obstacles that you might have had during the process so another way to do that is to write a little diary yourself and just write down your emotions and feelings and in fact here's a little plug for myself here i um have on amazon so i'll leave the link for that a gratitude journal it's for 90 days which is you know probably very good for this type of thing and um, suitable to record how you're feeling because there's a it's not just a you know writing down how you feel but also some check-in points in that gratitude journal which i do believe will actually help with this so write down as many things that you can may you know have to change or some of the things that you might know that you're going to tackle up against with friends and family. It's agreeable to say that you should check in every two to four weeks with yourself. And again, if I would like to point out about the gratitude journal, this is like a daily thing, but at the end of each week, there is a check-in point. So you can use that as your, you know, check-in as well if you're using some kind of journal. Okay. And that is really just to make sure that you can see your progress so that you can go back and and assess, you know, your progress from week one through to week four. Because you will see results steadily, which will make it easier to maintain your weight ongoing. So some of the questions, just to finish off this this sort of section, um, I wanted to discuss some of the questions you might get asked. So the first one would be, where do you get your protein? Like I've lost count how many times I could actually have had this question. So the simplest answer to this one 
Vegans, just like cows, pigs, sheep, and chickens, get our protein directly from plants. So the next time someone asks you where you get your protein from, you can confidently reply, plants. Okay, another question you might also get asked is, are you feeling ill or weak yet? Well, once you get through the initial few weeks of your body adjusting, yes, you will actually feel probably the toxic release effects of what's happening to your body. If you're feeling ill or weak, just know that it's most likely going to be the first few weeks and that after that, you will actually start to feel more energetic and you will sleep better too, which is a major plus, right? I know since being vegan that my sleep pattern is so much more in tune than it ever used to be. And that's something I have to kind of like think about how I used to sleep. I would always be waking up, I'd have insomnia, you know, and a lot of that was due to my own stress. And going back over what I've mentioned today, everything's kind of like pointing towards the not just about the food and a healthy diet physically. This is also affecting you mentally, opening up that awareness And so if you're opening up to other things, you're probably going to be less stressed than when you were, when you weren't on a vegan diet. In fact, it's actually proven that more and more professional athletes are turning to plants to improve their performance. So this is great. So you see a lot more bodybuilders becoming plant-based and finding their protein. And did you actually know that Venus and Serena Williams, because I didn't know this, adopted a completely or usually adopt a completely vegan diet when they're training and playing at top level? They see significant improvements in their game when they remove animal products from their diet. I will have to add a little personal side note here. Not really sure why they don't stay vegan all the time. And I didn't do a lot of research on this. So possibly they do. But the information that I found out was that they don't. I guess there are heaps of vegan people you can talk about here from boxers to ultra marathon runners to snooker players even. And you can Google this and find a good mentor to use as your example when asked this question. So when someone asks you, are you feeling ill or weak? You can first of all reply with, you know, it's just like a toxin release from the meat and the other things that my body has accumulated. And by eating healthier, my body is reducing that through waste. And so that's why I'm not feeling very energetic in the first few weeks. But now I'm feeling much more energetic. You can give examples of people who are professional athletes that have turned to plants to improve their performance. And of course, if you do choose a mentor, that's going to be, you know, where you can Google far more information about them and basically be able to retaliate Maybe retaliate is not a good word to use, but you'll be able to give that information back to the person who is giving you a hard time about this. Okay, so I wanted to just do a few more questions that you might get asked before I go into the mental health section that I wanted to talk about um, before I finish the episode today. So I obviously cannot provide all of the questions that you'll get asked. So I'm going to do the most common ones and obviously ones that I've been asked, but I have been asked some very strange questions in my time. And I kind of just look at the person and assess really whether I'm going to answer that (laughs) or not. And that's something that I think you two also need to be aware of. Typically, one of the questions that I know has been asked of me several times is, but what do you eat? 
Well, it's clear that the majority of what we all eat is vegan by default. You probably eat way more vegan food than you actually realize because there are far more plant-based foods than there are animal species that are farmed for eating. So really think about that and kind of get that picture in your head so that when you get asked this question, you can say that back to the person and get them thinking about that because there's really nothing they can say to that, honestly. If there are more plant-based foods than there are animal species that are farmed for eating, enough said. Okay, here's one that I, you know, I think every vegan has been asked. Don't you miss bacon? Okay, so my answer to this is that most people have never stopped to consider where the flavor in bacon actually comes from and that it's really obvious when you think about it It comes from plants. That distinctive smoky and or sweet flavor is added during the curating process. So the taste that everyone raves about has nothing to do with the pig who had to die for the meat. Effectively, bacon is just smokiness, sweetness, and fat, and this can be easily replicated without animals. And nowadays, there are so many vegan options for bacon that I even wonder why we are still killing pigs. I mean, honestly. The next time someone asks you about bacon, just explain to them where the flavor actually really comes from and wait for that light bulb ding moment. Here's another one of the most common, and maybe these questions won't be exactly how I'm putting them, but the, you know, because everyone's going to ask the question differently, but ultimately they're asking the same thing. Our teeth are designed for eating meat. Well, here we go. We may call them canines, but the small and more round than pointy teeth besides our incisors don't exactly mirror those of a true carnivore. If you take a look at a lion's set of teeth, those bad boys are designed for ripping and tearing flesh. But our teeth, in stark contrast, are far better suited for an apple or a crusty baguette, say. There really is no comparison. Furthermore, the addition of huge canines doesn't always equate to meat-eating in the wild. A hippopotamus, very much so a true herbivore, has huge canine teeth, and their canines are designed for combat as hippos are extremely territorial animals and play no role whatsoever in eating. Similarly, herbivores such as gorillas have an impressive set of canines, But their preferred diet is, of course, foliage, meaning that their teeth have nothing at all to do with eating meat. So yeah, that argument is truly backed up by evidence. Okay, the fourth question for today is you should stop calling non-vegan food meat and cheese. If you no longer eat them, why do you want to make these things and replicate them? Well, as a vegan recipe creator, I have come across this a lot in comments and by people who are even my friends and family, not really understanding that if I'm vegan, why do I want to have products are resembling the same? Well, I guess it is a strange one, but for me personally, I just like feeling um, I, I don't know, like I, I don't actually like those Beyond Burgers, Beyond Meat Burgers, because I never really liked meat that much. Like when I think back to it, I never really liked beef. And that, again, is another story for another day, but I think I've covered it in previous episodes of how I was brought up as a child. And I think that 
if I saw something with blood coming out of it, I know a lot of people eat rare meat, but I could never do that. So it's strange for me to see a burger. And I tried it in Israel. They had these burgers and, you know, I know it was beetroot, but it was just oozing out of it and it just looked too real. So on that scale, no, I can't do it. But there's just something convenient about making foods that we used to make. Like I'm also gluten-free. I still love bread. So I make bread or I buy gluten-free vegan bread, you know, because it's so easy to make a sandwich compared to, you know, trying to make it, you know, a a huge salad when I'm in a in a hurry or making quinoa, you know, from scratch. So I guess for me, that is really important that I find products that not so much replicate the look of them, but replicate the taste. And some of my favorite things that I have are indeed burgers. And I make them either with lentils or I make, which is pretty much like a veggie burger, but I also do make one with TVP. Now, if you're not familiar with that, it's just texturized vegetable protein. So when once it's soaked and it's, you know, used for a lot of things in cooking for vegans, it does give a sort of feeling of a meatier texture because it is a little bit tougher, like, you know, minced meat tends to be so, um, or grainy, I guess. And so, yeah, I do make one with that, but I absolutely do not put beetroot or anything that resembles blood coming out of it. Sometimes when I eat it, like I, I do get that feeling of I have to remind myself it's not actual meat. Like that's how close I've been able to get the recipe. But I do also like my pepperoni. It's absolutely the taste. But yes, I make it into a roll because it's easy for me to store it that way. And I cut it into small little pieces. But it does not make me think of pepperoni that I used to buy um, in the deli. The same with cheeses. I loved cheese, although I never could really eat a lot of it. And now I can eat so much more of it because I'm vegan and I'm constantly making cheeses because I it's so versatile to put on a sandwich or a cracker or whatever, you know, just the way that we've been kind of brought up. Just because I'm vegan doesn't mean I have to change the style of eating that I have as a vegan. Um, and, and then, of course, I do also like making fake kind of chicken. And I previously was using vital wheat gluten but now i'm trying to stay away from any glutinous kind of things much more so i've started using pea protein which is very good the same with my pepperoni so it's just like an occasional thing that i will make this is not really like the healthy versions of vegan food either by the way but so yeah i make kind of like a southern fried chicken burger or southern fried chicken steak and it turns out really good and i use that with pea protein now and the other thing I really like probably my absolute favorite thing because it is plant-based and it's also gluten-free and it's also healthier is jackfruit and of course there's also tofu you know I use a lot of tofu to emulate meats as well and cheese obviously so I guess my point with this question because I did steer off there a bit I'm very sorry but most animal products, when you look at what humans consume, they're not actually designed to look like an animal at all, which is why most people have no association to the animal that was killed to what is actually served on their plate. So when we look at burger patties, sliced meats and sausages, they are actually a far cry from the cow or pig they once were. And even cuts of meat that were more closely resembling flesh are often vacuum packed and little blood is seeping out of them. 
So in meat production also, something interesting to note, that hair is burned or scalded off and bodies are drained of blood and the flesh is cleaned or to ensure a disconnection between the product and and the actual animal that product originally was. So when vegans are accused of hypocrisy for eating a veggie hot dog, my argument is that a hot dog is nothing like an animal. It may be meat, but what meat is can be questionable. And what I'm eating when I'm eating a veggie sausage or a veggie hot dog or whatever is that I'm just eating plants flavored and shaped the same way they would eat it if they were eating an animal product. So if a veggie burger or hot dog or whatever helps someone to transition to a cruelty-free way of life, then how is that a bad thing? Because we still go to barbecues and parties and have festivals and they mean as much to a vegan as a non-vegan and these are the foods we eat at them. So going vegan doesn't mean giving up things you love and with more companies offering plant-based options, we don't have to. And honestly, I cannot say this enough. You can make a cheese within five minutes. It's just putting it in the fridge to set that takes the time, you know, and even that doesn't take very long. I probably am going to leave a couple of recipes in my show notes um, today because I feel like there's some really great stuff here that you could use um, that would help you transition to a vegan diet and to have some of the things that you might be wanting that you're not sure about and not have to buy ones in the supermarket that also can sometimes be really highly processed and not have the nutrients that you can get from doing it yourself. Aren't you being a bit extreme? Well, I heard that one a million times. I don't think it's extreme to want to live in a way that causes the least harm to anyone or anything. I'm vegan for the animals and the environment and the health benefits are just a bonus. So that's exactly what I say when I'm asked this question. Short, sweet and to the point. Okay, so the final question today that I want to talk about is quite a long one. So there's going to be some broken up into parts. The question is, is so you value animal life over human life. This is probably the weirdest of all the questions because of the fact that no one asks a non-vegan who has pets if they value their animals over their children, do they? No. Dependent on their situation, here are a couple of answers you could respond with. Being vegan is about equality, not superiority, and I believe that all life has value and no one needs to die in order for me to live and that feels great for me. So if you're not someone who went vegan for the animals, you can still have a good answer. So you can say it wasn't for animals that I decided to go vegan, but for the future of our planet as a whole. Most people have no idea, but the raising and killing of animals for food is the leading cause of climate change. If we keep going the way we're going, there's going to be absolutely no world for humans to enjoy anyway, let alone the animals. And my third response, someone who has gone vegan, maybe for the animals, but has realized that, that their awareness has become so much more because of it. And I would say I fit into this category the most. So you can respond with, well, since going vegan, I've become more interested and active in all areas of social justice and have a better understanding of humans as well as animal rights. Everything is connected and how we currently live is completely unsustainable. For example, millions of people are starving in this world. Known fact. 
but we're actually feeding food that they could eat to the animals that we then kill in order to eat ourselves. What's the logic in that? You will get asked other questions, including the vitamin B12 one. So I mentioned earlier in the episode that even before vegan, I was getting vitamin B shots as a meat eating adult due to low iron and hemoglobin levels. So anyone who doesn't understand the nutritional value of the foods they eat has a higher chance of lacking in essential nutrients, which ultimately leads to disease. Cannot stress that one enough. So another way to answer this is, well, if you really want to know more about whether you are getting enough vitamin B or any other vitamins or minerals, in fact, either use an app like Chronometer or have blood tests regularly to make sure you are meeting your own daily requirements and not at the risk of being deficient yourself. So kind of like throwing it back in their court and making sure that while they're asking these questions, do they really have the answers for themselves? It's so important to maintain a healthy mind and body. And this is when we truly live in optimal health. The thing is, as I have said many times, while a well-balanced vegan diet does not cause mental illness per se, nutritional deficiencies can give rise to mental health problems. And one great thing about a well-balanced vegan diet is that it is full of superfoods. I also say this, know your food. In Ayurveda, we look at food as being medicine, and not all imbalances in the body come from something physical. Foods have energy that help us with what they are meant to do. For instance, craving chocolate can be a sign of low magnesium. What happens when your body is low in magnesium is that you can find you might be agitated, have anxiety, irritability, confusion, asthenia, sleeplessness, headaches, delirium, hallucinations, and hyperexcitability. And I'm sure that's pro- there probably is a much larger list for that, but yeah, it can come down to having these kind of feelings. So when your magnesium levels are low, fewer NMDA receptors are blocked. This means they are prone to being stimulated more often than necessary. This kind of overstimulation can kill nerve cells and may even cause brain damage. And of course, that is just one example of deficiency. The most common nutritional deficiencies seen in patients with mental disorders are of omega-3 fatty acids, B vitamins, minerals, and amino acids that are affecting our neurotransmitters. If this is affecting your neurotransmitters, it's going to affect you mentally without a doubt. So increasing evidence actually has indicated a strong association between a poor diet and the association of mood disorders, including anxiety and depression, as well as other neuropsychiatric conditions. These studies have shown that if you eat lots of processed meat, fried foods, refined cereals, candy, pastries, and high-fat dairy products, you're most likely going to be anxious and depressed. Previously, I talked about how you can have toxin release from, you know, going from a non-vegan diet to a vegan diet so maybe going from a highly processed foods diet to a much healthier diet those toxins are released well think about it and also this relates back to ayurveda is that when we do the abhyanga massage in ayurveda it's all about releasing the toxins from the body 
And this is a form of panchakarma. When we do uh, shiradhara, this is releasing the toxins from the mind. So, you know, even Ayurveda has that kind of precedent that this is what you need to release. You're not just releasing toxins at, from the body, but the mind also has to release those toxins in order to have you living in that optimal health in your body and your mind. A healthy, well-balanced diet can help us think clearly and feel more alert. It can also improve concentration and your attention span. So vitamins and minerals to healthy fats and fiber, all nutrients play a role in brain health and function. Following a healthy pattern of eating is linked with better stress management, improved sleep quality, increased concentration, and better mental well-being in general. Well, I hope that helps you with equipping yourself with enough information that you can be prepared the next time someone tries to convert you back to being a meat eater. Before I go, I wanted to explain that I'm starting a new podcast for a completely different genre. And because of my schedule, I've decided to alternate this, this particular podcast with the new one, which means a new podcast for each show every two weeks instead of every week. I'm going to give it a go and hope that you will too. If you're interested in knowing more about my new podcast, answer the question on Spotify and let me tell you one thing. It's so far removed from nutrition and healing, but you may just find it interesting and I'm really excited to get it moving, but also to sustain my nutrition and healing podcast is very important to me. So I just hope that you will be patient with waiting every two weeks from now on. And also, if you ever have any nutrition questions that you would like to ask me or anything towards healing, please contact me. You can find my link, my link tree bio link in the show notes, which takes you to my Facebook, my Instagram, which is probably where you best to contact me is on Instagram, also my YouTube channel. But yeah, if you want a more personalized like Q&A, then definitely send that to me. And I can possibly also turn that into a podcast episode. Until then, take care, lovelies. So I hope you live your life in good health, eat lightly, breathe deeply, live moderately, cultivate cheerfulness, and maintain an interest in life. Namaste. Namaste.